You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Lots of interesting things coming out of Colorado Rockies camp these days. A lot of wins on the field and some off-the-field news, too, so let's get right to it. I'm Allison Twitter, and I'm here with Thomas Harding, who has taken a break from eating oysters in St. Louis to talk to us. So, Thomas, we appreciate that. Um, we want to talk about Jose Reyes, who, of course, we know was just handed a suspension that will last throughout the month of May uh, for a domestic violence uh, incident uh, a while ago. So he is going to be uh, maybe making some public uh, comments soon, but uh, just tell us, uh, through covering this whole thing, uh, what stood out to you with all of this, and, and what did you think after the suspension was handed out? Well, I thought that, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of information because the charges in Hawaii against him were dropped, but, you know, Major League Baseball wanted to make a statement over what happened to say, you know, these situations can't be tolerated. And I think there was a lot of back and forth between Reyes, the Players Association, and Major League Baseball to try to come up with something that that was punitive but also was fair. So they gave him a suspension basically through the first two months of the season since he was already under um, administrative paid leave. And I noticed the announcement said that the suspension technically started February 23rd, which my thought about that would be, you know, the the length of time from February 23rd through May 31st uh, kind of set maybe some precedents for uh, hopefully discouraging the next incident. And maybe if, maybe if there's more information or there's a clearer case, then that set the precedent for the next suspension if something like that happens, although we hope it never does. Um, so they're going to give Jose Reyes some time to get ready. Um, he can go to extended spring training immediately, and and he will be there and should be able to uh, address this. I, I'm, I'm imagining he'll only want to do it once. He'll only want to um, just put put out his side of the story, whatever he can or cannot say, and leave it at that. That's not that's not to say that people won't ask him about it, but what he's hoping to do is just simply move on with his career and with his life. Yeah, this I mean, it, this whole thing is very interesting, just the things that we've seen so far uh, with the with Chapman, Jose Reyes, the commissioner. I mean, this thing was collectively bargained by both sides. Uh, yeah. Everybody agreed to it. Uh, the commissioner basically holds all of the power here to be able to hand down the punishment that he sees fit. Um, and I know that eliminates, that will help to eliminate anything close to coming to the disaster that is the NFL uh, when they were handling this. Um, so it, it also kind of it seems like, you know, the appeal process may never actually come into effect because it does seem like there's just a lot of understanding on both sides that this is kind of how it needs to be handled. Well, actually, the appeals process, what they're doing with it, which I think is very smart, the appeals process happens before any announcements come out. So there is negotiation with the Players Association, but then – at that point, uh, they can take it to arbitration, and arbitration is designed to happen before the actual announcement is made. So the Players Association does have a lot of negotiating rights within this. It's just not uh, the way that some leagues are where the commissioner comes out and announces something, and then a month or two later a judge has overturned it. Uh, that's, that was one of the safeguards built into this. So, yes, the commissioner has some broad powers. He can suspend if there are if there are or are not criminal charges or conviction in a case. But the Players Association, they do represent the player, and they try to get the appeal done before anything is announced. Yeah, that's very smart. Um, 
Well, hopefully that, uh, I don't know what I'm hoping for, but there's peace uh, among a lot of people that were affected by this. We'll leave it at that. Yes. Um, moving on to the 2018 Rockies, second place Rockies. Hello. Uh, five game winning streak. They're 12 and eight on the road. Oh my God. I don't know where to start talking about the good times. Let's talk about Chad Bettis. Uh, you had a great line and I don't have it up on my screen anymore. But something about the worms had no, the worms in the dirt had no shot against Chad Bettis because he was just inducing ground ball out after ground ball out. So that had to have been nice thing. Yeah, Chad Bettis, uh, you, you've seen this all season, really. and You saw it last year, a guy who everything is coming together for him. However, in the first few starts of the season, it seemed like things were very good for him. Then he'd run into an inning, and it would trip him up. He'd give up a few runs there, and his numbers would not look as good, and his record would not look as, as good as how he pitched. Um, but against the Cardinals, he comes, he pitches six and two-thirds innings. He was just starting to falter in the seventh where he gave up three hits. The bullpen helped him out a lot. But this is a guy who's going to get deep in games, who's going to, I believe, prove that he's the leader of this staff. Yeah, there's a lot of young talent, and you're starting to see it with John Gray, Eddie Butler pitching very well right now. But Chad Bettis seems to be the leader of this staff as we stand. And the way he's pitched um, for most of the season kind of backs that. Yeah, he's had the inning or two that's tripped him up. But as long as he can just continue to do this consistently and eliminate those issues, we're talking about a guy who, who is a real leader here and can make a difference on a team that thinks it's uh, competitive, even though other people don't. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and we have seen early surges, early season surges with the team, and then the final record isn't so great. But, you know, I mean, they do seem to be putting together uh, something workable that might have some momentum as time goes on. Um, and, and that brings me to an article that you wrote that caught my eye because it was about the catching depth um, in yes. the organization. And the reason it caught my eye is because catching depth is a rarity in baseball. I mean, it right. is team, it's, organizations will spend years trying to develop catching and not be able to do it. it is, uh, it's a tough position to convince young players to play as early as high school because it's the, it's the most uh, taxing on your body. Um, it's the fastest way to the big leagues, especially, especially if you're a switch hitter. But it is very hard. And then to be successful as a catcher uh, in professional baseball is even harder. But it seems that the catcher, that the Rockies seem to have some guys showing some pretty nice potential. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why you have that international brotherhood of backup catchers, guys who kind of <laughs> hook up in the major leagues and they stay around for what seems to be six decades catching because they're so hard to find. But um, – the Rockies five or six years ago decided this is going to be a priority because it seems like we get a catcher hurt and then we're just stuck. Or or maybe the wrong catcher comes up, say he's an offensive catcher who isn't good defensively or vice versa, and they're, and, and they're stuck. So what they've done is they've concentrated on them in the draft. Um, they picked up Tony Walters from the Cleveland Indians, and he was a guy who was an infielder that they converted to catcher. And he's been elite at throwing out runners at the minor league level, and it turns out he is excellent behind the plate at framing pitches, getting strikes for strikes for his pitchers. Uh, they they drafted a kid out of high school a couple of years ago and converted him to catcher. Also, they have Tom Murphy, who's one of the top prospects in the minors. I am really fascinated by the emphasis on catching and the idea of taking a um, infielder, especially, and converting him into the catcher. Here's why. When you look at high school teams, especially, and college teams to a certain degree, your best athletes are either shortstops or center fielders. Well, you can only have one of those, one shortstop and one center fielder on the field at once. 
but you need a great athlete behind the plate. A lot of the kids who've been catching all their lives, by the time that they're ready for pro ball, their knees are probably beaten up from all the squatting and, all, and, and, and just all the contact you take behind the plate. Why not take a fresh athlete and convert him to the position? And what, what, you, what you may have is kind of the best of both worlds. You've got someone who you can teach him the fundamentals, but athletically he's still at the top of his game. He hasn't been beaten up by catching for years. Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. I mean, to do it that way, you have to make sure that someone has the aptitude to be able to do that. Um, but you're right. I mean, this like fraternity of backup catchers, and even frontline catchers, but they tend to stick around forever because, uh, I mean, I know in covering the Astros, like they spent right off his entire career trying to replace him. Um, they could bring up young catcher and young catcher, and it would never uh, work because they just couldn't. They just didn't have what it took to be a frontline catcher. So that really is the. I mean, that is a selling point to try to get these guys to want to want to catch. Is like there's probably more job job security doing it. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it's hard because you have to pick the right guy. The guy who has those leadership skills. Um, the, someone who has the toughness. Uh, to, and, and someone who's really not very selfish because the beating you take behind the plate cuts down on, on your ability to build numbers offensively. There have been very few catchers who have put up great offensive numbers. Also, you don't play every single day. You take a few more days off when you catch. You have to be willing to do that. But, yeah, I like the idea of, um, of converting people to catcher, um, but you can't, you know, swear off people who've caught all their lives. Uh, but here's the issue that the Rockies have. At some point, do some of these catchers help them get, say, the pitcher they need or say if they um, have some injuries, if they make a trade? It's hard to trade your catchers because so many of them get hurt. Um, you know, Nick Hunley has been on the DL twice already this season, so it's really hard for them to say, hey, we have so many catchers we can trade one to get something else because suddenly you find yourself short. But that's... That's one of the fascinating decisions that this organization has to deal with that most organizations don't. Yeah, totally. Good stuff. Very interesting. Thomas, thank you. Get back to the oysters. We'll talk to you next week. Yum, yum. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.